Have you ever wondered, have you ever had questions about the role of the Holy Spirit in, in your life? Bunny has. No one, no one else has? Okay. Yeah. So if you could quick either jot down any question that you have, just a general question or something that you specifically have wondered about, if you could jot that down, then closer to the end of the talk, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you ask that question or at least talk about your journey on the question. So, for example, when I first became a believer, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Do you know what I mean? I knew God was real. That's what I knew. I knew I believed God. I knew that I had said a yes to God. That's what I knew. That's all I knew. I had said my big yes to God. I had surrendered, said, me in charge of my life is a disaster. Will you help? And instantly the yes came And I can't explain to you how the yes came because it's an experience of the yes. I just knew that God's answer was yes. Peace touched my soul. I began to to be aware that when I would pray, from then on, it was like I wake up in the morning, my first thought was God. I began to read the Bible to figure out, like, who is this God that I now belong to? And I remember we would... I would hang out with these other young people who were seeking God too. So like on a Friday night, it switched radically. Like my parents went from you have to be home by this time to I don't care when you get home, 2 a.m., that doesn't matter to me. It went, right? Because when I was not living for God, they knew I was up to no good no matter how late I was out. And suddenly now they, not, they saw that I, all I wanted to do was live for God. They didn't care how late I came back because they knew I was not up to no good. It was weird. So I remember going to this one guy's house and there was a campfire in the backyard and there were people just hanging out, singing songs and chit-chatting and him and I started up a conversation and we become friends. And I started attending occasionally a little meeting he has in his basement, unfinished basement, concrete floor, right? Uh, unfinished walls. You can see the floor joists from the, from, you know what I mean? An unfinished basement. We're just chilling in there. Put a, put a rug down, grab some chairs, pull up a chair, and he's on the guitar and he's singing. And as he's singing, he, he's so sincere and he's so taking his time and he's just singing to Jesus. And I can tell you the chords he was playing. It was like G, B minor 7, C major 7 slowly, so gentle. And I could see the sound coming from the guitar. It was like glittering waves of gold making the air shimmer like it does when you're in the summertime and you look down the road or over this field because the heat rising from the field like makes the, makes, right? It bends the light. And that's what I could, I could see that happening in the room around me. And, and it, when he was singing and we were just taking our time and praying, the room started to shimmer visually. And I, I started to see tracers like I did when I was on drugs. And I started to feel the stuff on my skin like I used to feel when I was on drugs. And I was like, what is happening? This is weird. And I figured out what must be happening. God must be burning all the drugs that are stored up in my body out of me. Years of accumulated drugs must be being burnt out of me. That must be what's happening. This must be like a detox. I was wrong. And then I remember me and my buddy Darren, we were, we were watching this, this movie called Matthew and all it was was they took the new international version text of the Bible and they acted it out. They didn't get creative with it. It was word for word Bible. And we got to the scene where Jesus was being crucified. And and I'm crying. I don't know why I'm crying. Why am I crying? I don't know why I'm crying. I look over at Darren. He's crying. We're both crying. I don't know. Why are we crying? I can't handle it. 
My heart's hurting. My throat's closing up. I don't want to cry. I'm a man. I'm supposed to only have two emotions, angry and asleep. What, what is this? I don't want to feel this, but I, feel, I can't stop crying. And then he looked, Jesus looks right at me on the cross. And I look over and I realize, oh my word, I am high as a kite right now. I can hardly function. That's confusing. I am so high right now. I don't get it. I look over at Darren and I said something that I can't repeat in church that to the, ex- to the extent that I'm very high. And he goes, me too. And we're both sobbing. We don't have a clue we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Not a clue. Because no one explained to us yet. I remember I would light a candle in my room after I would come home from work just to be with God alone with no one else around. Shut the door, light the candle, and, and, and whisper to God. And, and after about five minutes, this thing would settle in. This peace would settle in. This, this thing, this energy I'm describing to you, this invisible mist like a sauna but not made of hot air, but made of tangible spirit presence. And then I remember, that was like every night. I experienced that every single night. Not sometimes if church got hot. In fact, church was always a downgrade to my regular days. Because I was pressing into Jesus. Church was more of a like, hey, how you doing? What's going with the kids? What's going on with the such and such? And then we sing and somebody's off pitch. And then there's somebody in the back doing a weird thing. And there's a guy in the front row with a trumpet. And you kind of... Preacher goes on and on and yells about some stuff and you roll your eyes a little bit and then finally he lets you pray for each other which is when the spirit moves. Would you shut up and get off the stage so we can get on with the work of the Lord was how I felt as a young Christian. Except for when Gary preached. When Gary preached, like this little scrawny 150 pound dude in the tiniest suit ever because he's tiny so he needs a tiny suit, no shoulder muscles. A tiny little guy. He was a mechanic, airplane mechanic, car mechanic. He would get in the pulpit and he would he would read these scriptures and he would he would almost cry. His his as he spoke, he could hardly contain the emotion of it, and you could tell he was struggling with something and he was pressing into God and there was answers in the book and he was expressing to you the thing that the book was giving that was the answer to him. And as he spoke, I just remembered like the spirit would hit me and I wanted to I wanted to it just. Something was, it was an interaction was happening. Some, something was being, imp, something was going on in the moment. It wasn't a guy talking. God was happening in the room. I remember he said, he was preaching out of Jeremiah 18. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my word. And so I went down to the potter's house and I watched him and he was working on the potter's wheel and the lump of clay he was working on was, was ruined as he was working on. So he took it and he rebuilt it and made something else instead. And then God, the word of the Lord came to me and he, Gary's preaching on this. And as he's preaching on this, I'm realizing what God's doing in my life. Like he's talking, but God is also now talking to me. Spirit happening. And then I remember... In the youth group, sitting there as a brand new Christian, and these, these, this couple came into our youth group, and they started to talk to us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I don't know much. I already told you, I don't know much. I didn't even know I was, I was already, I didn't know I was baptized in the Holy Spirit already. I didn't know that I was flaming up the flame that was in me every time I would seek his face in prayer and in worship and in communion. I didn't know that as we lingered in, in adoration and centered our hearts on him, he was drawing near to us because we were drawing near to him. I didn't know that. 
I didn't know that I was prophesying over people because I didn't know that was a thing you could do. I just knew that I needed to tell them what I saw and who they are and the hope they have and the contribution they can make and the unique personality that God knit them together and what they're here to do. And I needed them to know what they're here to do and, with the, and the God that they know. And I couldn't stop. I prayed for every single person laying hands on in the youth group, but I didn't know I was prophesying because I hadn't had the teaching yet. So then here comes the teaching. This couple shows up and they say, there's more, you guys. There's this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And not every Christian has it, was what they told me. And in, instantly, I, instead of me getting excited that there was more, do you know what I did? I felt a panic that I was somehow missing something. What is this baptism of the Spirit? Well, in the book of Acts, you got these people, they come to Jesus. They're ba- in the Acts chapter, uh, what is it, 8? Philip goes down to the villages of Samaria. He tells them about Jesus. The people see miracles done. And they start to turn from their witchcraft stuff and their idol worship to Jesus. And then it says, the apostles came from Jerusalem and they laid hands on these people. Because they'd been baptized in the water, but they had not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when the apostles laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit and whoosh. That's not me, by the way. It's not my phone. So I'm listening to this, these, this couple coming into our youth. This is before service. This is before church. This is Sunday school. And I'm listening to this and I'm going, there's more. And what if I'm missing it? And how do I get it? And how do I know if I had it? How do I know if I don't have it? What does it look like? What does it feel like? I, don't, I need to understand. Instead of getting excited that there's more, I got very panicked that I was less. Anyone relate to what I'm saying? So I go to my pastor and I ask him the same question. And he says, let me ask you some questions. What? He says, okay, so you don't know if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. So he goes, well, let's talk about what the markers of the Holy Spirit might be. What do, you th- what do you experience when you pray? Who were you before and who are you now? Right? Like, you can't see the wind, right? But you see the effects of the wind. And you can feel the effects of the wind. And the wind can tear down a tree, even though it's invisible. So he's saying, okay, so you can't see the Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Spirit. What do you experience? And what are the effects in your life that you would expect to see if the Spirit was present? So we had an interesting conversation about it. Have you wrestled through that? Very quickly, a friend of mine named Josh, his grandma was a Jesus-only Pentecostal. You ever heard of them? They don't believe in the Trinity. I'm not going to name names, but there's other well-known preachers that you probably like who who are oneness Pentecostals. But I won't name names until later in private. Because I don't want you to throw them out. Because they're wrong on this one issue. But anyway... 
His, his grandma was a Jesus Pentecostal. I remember being over at his house late at night. Lights are on inside the house. We're outside in the dark. So she can't see us, but we can see her. You understand? When it's light inside the house, it turns the, the window into more of a mirror when it's dark out. Are you with me? Good. Linda knows. All right. So we're outside. She's inside. We're in the dark outside. She's in the light inside. She's down, face down on the living room floor, face down, butt up, music on, seeking God loudly in intercessory warfare prayer like a mad woman. And my buddy next to me begins to mock her. I was outraged. And I put the shame down on him so hard and so fast that he actually got it. And he was like, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. I was like, how dare you? Like, yeah, I don't care what you believe. I don't care if you believe there is no God. You, she's, this is a, this woman is raising you. Come on. Like, the, the goodness of her life is a byproduct of this relationship she has with the God you claim not to think is real. So even if you don't think God's real, how can you make fun of her for laying out her passion, butt up, face down, I mean, out of her mind in intercessory tongues. I remember encountering the gift of tongues the first time was the same guy with the little Bible study with the, with the guitar in the basement, with the unfinished basement. I, I had a Friday night Bible study at my house and he would come over and in the, in, in the course of the evening, we would split the guys up and the girls up because at that time, there were, there were things we were embarrassed to confess across genders. The girls got stuff to confess, pray about, deal with. That's, that we're going to let them have their own space. We're going to have our own space. And I remember my buddy would just pray in tongues out loud, loudly, in that little, in my bedroom, with about five, four other guys. And when it was just me and him, I loved it. But once you introduce the other guys, who I don't think had ever heard it before, I always felt like, oh, bro, can you, can you, can you, could you not do that here? But when it was just me and him, like we would walk and talk and walk and talk to God. We were you know, outside in, in nature. We would walk and pray and just, he'd pray and I'd pray. There were times when there was something I wanted to pray and I just didn't have the words. And then he would just be like, ah, and he'd pray in this prayer language thing. And I don't know what language it was, but I would feel what was in me being released through him. And I would go, oh man, bless you. Those hiccups are deciding not to let up. You know what I'm talking about? Zion, Zion sometimes comes to me and he's like, I can't make it stop. I'm like, I know, buddy. They say, don't they say eat something sweet? Puts like sugar or something? Hold your breath. Swallow three times. <laughs> so my buddy, back to the story. <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to single you out, I'm just saying. Um, so my buddy, when he would pray in tongues with just him and me, I was like, oh my word, I want that gift. Do you know what I'm talking about? I want that gift. But when he would do it loudly in front of people who were made uncomfortable, I said, oh my word, would you please stop? Because it was sort of like intuitively, I was like, there's kind of a time and a place. You know what I mean? So then I went up. I'm, sorry, I'm just doing a lot of storytelling, right? We're about to break into little groups for conversation, by the way. 
So I went up with the same guy to this, this revival. And in this revival uh, environment, I walk in and wham, as soon as I walk in, I feel the presence of God. Remember how I said I I'd cultivated these daily little practices and I got so, so familiar with this thick presence that originally I thought was the drugs burning out of my system. But then later, after I had more teaching, I, was in, I, w- I came to, to realize, oh, this is, this is normal in the kingdom. So, so the Holy Spirit is the authentic. Do not be filled with wine, but I'm sorry, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so to be drunk is is to be intoxicated, to be under the influence, to feel the euphoria, to have your senses somewhat changed, to have your inhibitions lowered. It's to be under the influence of alcohol. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be under the influence of the presence of God, to have your senses changed, to have your emotions changed, to have your inhibitions lowered. So drunkenness is the fake, and drug abuse is the fake, that I had been using to deal with my emotional stuff as a teenager. And now that I'm following after Jesus, I'm going, oh, wait a minute. The real. I have the real. The real. And by the way, none of the negative side effects. The real has none of the negative side effects. So I go with my buddy up to this conference, and it was so disorienting to me because I could tell you for sure God's in the room and God's doing stuff, But I also was like, not everything that's happening in here seems like it's God. Not all the yelling seems like it's the Spirit. Not all the bodily shaking feels like it's really God. It doesn't look like the lifestyle of everyone in here is legitimately trying to be God's kid. So it was like real good mixed with kind of not so good. And that was confusing and raised a lot of questions for me. And then how do you make sense of the fact that I was told by that Pentecostal lady whose butt was in the air and face was on the ground. She said to me, honey, what you doing next? And I said, I'm going to India with, for missions. And she says, oh, honey. Or maybe she called me baby or sweetie or sugar because it do be like that with certain people. She says, oh, honey, you got the Holy Ghost. Thankfully, I'd been through that question. And settled it. Yes, I do. Oh, good. Because you don't want to be going out and fighting them demons without your armor on and without your weapons. You need the Holy Ghost if you go and do on missions in the front lines. Which I totally agree with. She said, whew, so you speak in tongues then. And I said, well, actually, I have not yet spoken in tongues. But I definitely have the Holy Ghost. Well, she disagreed with me on that. I don't know if you've ever thought this through. If you carefully read through the book of Acts, every time in the book of Acts that the Spirit is poured out, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit is poured out, says they spoke in other languages and prophesied. Same thing in the book of Acts chapter 8. Same thing again in Acts 19. And I think it might be even one other place. Now, never in the book of Acts is there actually a teaching that says... You have to pray in tongues to be filled with the Spirit. It's not in there. It's not in the the epistles. It's not in any of the other Gospels. It's not in there. But what there is, because that's just a historical account of what happened, 
because it happened, it's not unreasonable, is it? To assume that that might keep happening now? Right? Now, her thing was, it has to be tongues. But my question is, what about the prophecy? And what about other expressions of the Spirit? Now, again, that gets into some questions that I don't have to answer for you, that each of you should be working through, right? But these are the kind of raw materials that we use to, to, to view as data. Don't just believe the church you grew up in. That's a bad plan. Don't just believe the church you grew up in. Learn to think for yourself. Learn to look at good evidence and listen to good arguments and not be so defensive when you find a Christian that disagrees with you. And you go, well, Tim, sometimes you get defensive. Fair point. Thank you for pointing that out. I'm working on that. Okay, so... Really quick. Psalm 104. Let's just, I'm going to read this to you. Psalm 104, 29 through 30. Psalm 104, 29 and 30. When you hide your face, this is talking to God. When you hide your face, the creatures are terrified. And when you take away their breath, they die and they return to the, to the dust. But when you send your spirit, it's talking about animal life, plant life. When you send your spirit They are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Interesting. The the psalmist pictures that God's spirit is the origin and source of all life, animal life, plant life, human life, that when God pours out his spirit, things turn lush and green. When he withdraws his spirit, things dry up and die. That where the spirit flows... Life flows. Just a theme, just pointing out a theme. Okay, another one. In the Old Testament, God's people would get in trouble. They would get in real bad trouble, usually because they disobeyed God. They didn't do, when we don't do things God's way, we realize that God never really wanted to control us. He was just looking out for us. So we didn't do it God's way. Now our lives are crap and they're horrible. And then we go, oh no, God, save me from my stupid choices. And what does he say? Too bad for you? Strangely not. Strangely, he says, I love you so much, I'm going to have mercy on you. Even though you made your own bed. And I could just say, well, then sleep in it, idiot. But he doesn't. Most of the time. So here's the cycle in the book of Judges over and over. The people go after other gods, make stupid choices, hurt themselves like crazy. It opens them up to deception. Their lives get really hard. Then they cry out to the Lord. And what does God do in response? How does he save them in the book of Judges? Bless you. How God saves them in the Old Testament is he raises up a judge. Now, not a real, like in our culture, a judge is a person who wears a robe and sits in a chair and, and decides who's guilty and whatnot, and who's not. That's not what a judge is in the book of Judges. God raises up a person. People get into sin. They cry out to the Lord when their misery is full grown. They help us. And he goes, okay. And how he helps them is he sends the Spirit to a person. He creates a leader. A leader. 
He puts his spirit in a leader, and because they have the spirit, they care about what God cares about, and they fight what God wants to fight, and supernaturally, they fight the bad guys and deliver the victims from oppression, and then we can breathe again. (sighs) So like Samson would be an example. Samson's a kid. His mom has uh, an encounter with a divine being that says, don't let the boy drink wine or eat grapes or anything from the grapevine, and don't let him cut his hair. He's going to be set apart, take sacred vows, and he's going to be holy unto the Lord. And as long as he does his part to stay consecrated, God's going to put the power of the Spirit on him so he'll have unusual strength. So you read through Judges 13 and around 16-ish, the story of Samson And as long as he's consecrated, the Spirit empowers him and he can just, like, destroy all by himself. Kind of reminds me of how Sauron was in The Lord of the Rings. You know, you think the battle's going good and then Sauron comes out and just starts clubbing whole rows of soldiers, just done like that. That's Samson when the Spirit's on him. Then he gets in with the wrong girl. It could go the other way, okay? He could have been a woman and an idiot dude destroyed him too. Anyway, all right, it was not sexist. Let's, let's not go there. But he compromised by romantically connecting with someone who did not share his, his commitment to God. And so his compromise, now she cuts his hair, loses his anointing, loses his strength, and then they blind, they gouge his eyes out. And in a final burst, when his hair grows back, oh, is it a spoiler if I say this? Well, the story's pretty old. You probably heard it by now. And it didn't come out last month. In one last burst, after his hair grows out and they didn't realize it, and he finally gets the anointing of the Spirit back, he pulls the building down on him and them. So at least he gets, it's a, a, okay, let's not go there. But anyway, so you get this vision in the Old Testament. The Spirit doesn't just come to make you have a better day. The Spirit comes to bring about God's will on planet Earth. The Spirit comes to give us supernatural power to defeat the forces of darkness and deliver people from oppression. Are you with me? So then you have the Jews waiting and waiting and waiting for this promised ruler who will bring about the kingdom that's been promised to them. And to this day, the large percentage of Jews do not believe that Jesus is that Messiah. And I heard one that I really respect say he doesn't think Jesus is the Messiah because the real Messiah will be a political ruler, not just a spiritual uh, savior. The real Messiah, this guy said, will be a son from the lineage of David. Are you, saying, are you tracking with me? And he's going re- to bring all the exiles of the Jewish people of the world back to the promised land and restore the glory of their political kingdom. And therefore, Jesus can't be the Messiah because he doesn't fulfill those promises, says the Jewish person that I'm quoting. All right, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. This is what Peter says. You know about Jesus, whom God anointed, Jesus of Nazareth, God anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now, 
you can see the Samson linkage is so clear, right? The Spirit comes on him. When did the Spirit come on him, you guys? When, was this, when did the Spirit come on Jesus? So he goes down into the water. He gets water baptized. And then John, who baptizes him, says, when I dunked that boy and he came back up, I saw, saw the Spirit come down on him like, like a bird landing. And it remained on him. This is not a one-time thing. The Spirit comes on and then leaves. In the Old Testament, you have that happening a lot, don't you? The Spirit comes on someone. The Word of the Lord happens. Then he lifts. But with Jesus, it was different. Different than anybody who'd ever been. The Spirit rests on him and remains. And from that moment on, the Gospels say, he immediately began to go around and set people free. As soon as he's baptized in the Spirit, well, that's an interesting idea. That Jesus, there was a time when he belonged to God, loved God his whole life, but then there was a moment in time when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And after that, it did change things for him. Now, if that doesn't fit in your theology, maybe we need bigger boxes. What do you mean, the Son of God? Wasn't baptized in the Spirit. It says that he, as a kid, he loved God. Oh, nobody said he didn't have or experience the Spirit of God. I'm talking about there's something unique in that expression to be baptized in the Spirit. That wasn't the moment he got saved, friends. (laughs) He never got saved, by the way. He was always right. But there was a moment in time when he was anointed with the spirit and power and that anointing with the spirit and power commissioned and launched him into a whole new chapter of his life. Okay. There's so many more passages I could read. If you wanted to read more passages, you could read Acts chapter 2. But I just want to fixate here on Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, I'm sorry, I meant John. John chapter 16. This is right before Jesus is going to be crucified. And this is, this is he's having this heart-to-heart conversation with the disciples the, like the night before. You are filled with grief because I've told you these things. What things? He just told them he's going to be crucified and he's going to go away from them and he's not going to be able to be with them anymore. That's like the worst thing anyone could ever tell you. I'm going away, and I'm going to have to be suffer. I'm going to suffer like crazy. So he says, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But truly I tell you, John 16, verse 7, it's for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Skipping down. Verse 12. I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. Notice that. 
I got a lot of stuff I want to say to you, says Jesus, but I can't tell you now. But here's what I'm going to do. Verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And he's not going to speak on his own. He's only going to speak what he hears. And he's going to tell you what's to come. He's going to glorify me because it's from me that he's going to receive it. And he's going to make known to you all that belongs to the father's mind. And that's why I said the Spirit's going to receive from me and he's going to make known to you. So it's like this. Everything the Father owns belongs to Jesus. And everything that the Father and the Son are saying, the Spirit will make known to you. I can't, I can't explain it to you now, says Jesus, but I'm going to go away and I'm going to send you the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, he's going to unpack the stuff I don't have time to tell you now. It's better for you, says Jesus. If I go and he comes. Now, I think it would be best if you stay and he comes. And that day's coming. That day's coming. It was good when Jesus was there. It is better now that the Spirit indwells us 24-7. It will be best when Jesus is here and the Spirit indwells us 24-7. Are you with me? Good, better, best. It was good when Jesus showed up. Real good. It's better to have the Spirit in me all the time than Jesus near me some of the time. But it will be best to have both. All right, so here's my questions. If you want to uh, get in little groups, that's fine. But if you're feeling antisocial and introverted, that's also fine. But first, I just want you to do a little thought experiment. Could you put your imagination caps on? Say it one more time. Excellent. That's fantastic. Yes. Put your imagination caps on. Picture yourself in this scene. Once a week, you and Jesus have a sit down. Once a week. Jesus in the flesh, in person, for an hour. Can you picture that? Where would you and Jesus meet? Go ahead and say it out loud. The beach, where else? Bedroom. Bedroom. The flower garden in the pool. Now, that makes, that's no surprise. <laughs> Bedroom. What was yours? A lake. A lake. Nature. Nobody wants to be inside with fluorescent lighting and the sound of, of uh, machines whirring. You guys are weird. In the pickup? Okay. That's question one. Where would Jesus and you meet? When? When would you meet? What day? What time? How does that actually fit into your schedule? Think this through with me. If this is a real person and you have one real hour, when in your schedule would you do that? No, once a week. Once a week, Stan. Calm down. What day? Oh, my goodness. He's flexible, Dawn. She says whatever day he says. 
But I'm telling you, he's flexible. What day would you meet him? Well, right now, the thought exercise, he's only, if he's in the flesh, he can only be one time, one place. And he's given you an hour. So he stands take, taking Monday. Tuesday or Thursday for dawn. Stan's got Monday. Kate says Friday at 5. Saturday at noon. Why Friday at 5? And you've gone, I, I thought maybe it was because you've gone through a whole week and you might have some stuff ready to unpack. <laughs> How many of you would meet in the morning when you're fresh? How many of you would dare not meet in the morning when you're completely zonked? I wake up so fresh and ready to kick butts and take names, and my wife's like, stop talking. Okay, so that's when. When would you meet? Now, let's talk about topics. What would you and Jesus talk about, do you think? And be honest. What would you talk about? I like where your head's at, but that doesn't help me get a specific answer. You know what I mean? Did I pass? So, so no, but let's, do, let's drill down into that, Bunny. Are you pleased with me, God? Right? That's the, isn't that the question you're asking? Are you pleased with me? Am I enough? Good, good, good. I do like what you're saying. You said, Jonathan said everything, meaning any and everything of my life. He actually loves me enough to care about it. He cares about everything. So my guess is it would probably change week to week, wouldn't it, guys? And if I said, what would you talk about with Jesus if you knew you had the meeting coming this week? You probably already have something pop right to the top of your heart, don't you? How many of you would have some sins to confess? You don't have to raise your hand just because I am. How many of you have some sad things that you want to unpack how many of you have some confusing and difficult things you want advice for? And how many of you want to ask him, what's wrong with me? <laughs> or what's wrong with them? Oh, dear. I think that's, see, that's fascinating, right? If you knew you had one hour face-to-face with the physical, real Jesus, and you knew you had to work that into your schedule, when are you going to do that to give it the time it deserves? Because you can't be in more than one place. How many of you think you'd be on your phone while you'd be talking to him? (laughs) Thank you for being honest. So you'd be on your phone to take notes on his answers. Yeah, you'd be recording. How, how many of you think those conversations would be encouraging? Well, I mean, the rich young ruler went away sad because he got his idols pointed out. This is what's keeping you stuck. If you don't surrender that up, it's not going to work. And he went away sad. I don't have to say everything into the mic that you say, right? 
<laughs> People used to tell me that Jesus was really working them over and giving them a hard spanking. And, a, and I said to him, I, I've never got a hard spanking from Jesus yet. I've had him gently say things to me that were devastating because I really, really realized how wrong I was. But he's never been... Like, but I get what people mean. I think what they mean is what I just said, which is sometimes the things Jesus says gently and in love, I end up going, oh man, I, I really got to get that out of my heart and my life. So how many of you think that your life, if you just had this one hour meeting with Jesus, that if you just had this one hour meeting with Jesus once a week, that your life would finally be fixed? You don't. Not like... You don't think it would be fixed. So what do you mean it wouldn't be fixed? Explain more what you mean. That's fine. Yeah. Right. So someone in the back, because this whole region of the, of the room was like, no, it wouldn't fix everything. Okay, so, you, so you'd still be in this real world with other people, okay? All right. You said no too. Oh, unless he fixed. <laughs> Fix, that's an interesting concept. Does he want to fix me or? Anyway. Right? Yeah. Right. But there's still going to be the next thing to get through. Kind of like, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought your sentence was done. And then, and then I pointed and then you started again. You don't know what's going to come up in life. So we all agreed that if we could have a face-to-face sit-down with Jesus, it would be awesome, but it wouldn't make life suddenly perfect. Could be terrifying. Shoot, I'd have to go look at the, how many, what number of the questions are. Yeah, question one was, where would you and Jesus meet? Question two was, when would you meet? Question three was, what would you talk about? Question four was, uh, how do you think those questions would, Im- how do you think those conversations would impact you? And then question five was, do you think your life would just be then perfect, basically? Would it finally fix everything? And y'all said basically no. I got a question six. Do you think that you'd be on time? Yeah, would you be on time for those? What if you consistently missed your appointments with Jesus? What if you consistently missed your appointments with Jesus? So how would it affect your life if he was there waiting for that hour every week, no matter whether you showed up or not, but you started just kind of missing your appointments? How would that affect your life? So negatively. So, okay, here's the rub. 
Would you rather have the face-to-face, once-a-week, hour-long conversation we just talked about or his spirit indwelling you 24 hours a day? Now, just imagine that because you have him available, you start to actually have these meetings whenever you you want and every day on purpose. It's the real Jesus that's in you. It's the real spirit of Jesus that speaks to you. It's the real father he's connected you to. So all that excitement and happiness I saw in your eyes as you imagine those conversations is available to you. But we've been missing our appointments. And he's not, I'm not saying he's mad. That's not my point. My point is there's a major upgrade that Jesus wants us as his disciples to realize we have. It used to be there was only an hour a week and we had to wait in a line, so to speak. The crowds were pressing in to touch him. And now he's multiplied his availability. And we go, yeah, but it's not the same. And he says, you're right, it's not the same. This is better. And I know y'all answered correctly, but I suspect in reality, we feel real bad about missing our appointment with the physical Jesus. But not think so much about all the ways we're missing our appointment with the real Jesus who's available and who lives in us. Okay. Did you guys, I'm, I'm going to finish, that's, that's the end of that sermon. Did you guys have, anyone want to mention the question that I, that I talked about at the beginning where I said, do you have questions about the work or the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your own life? Did anyone have anything they wanted to say or ask? Stan. So, so from what you were talking about, like Jesus, when he got filled with the Holy Spirit, he didn't speak in tongues. Mm. So Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in that account, tongues didn't happen as a part of the mark. Okay? Okay? Yeah. So that's, you're making an observation. You're not really asking a question. All right. So that's the question, and I'm not going to answer it. I actually feel like we, I do too much answering. And the most important thing I can, I can do for you is to say, you need to think about that and read your Bible and figure out what the Bible says. That's interesting, though, isn't it? Okay, so let me ask another question. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, we're almost done. The book of Acts, chapter 6, the disciples, the apostles say to the church, they say, y'all need to pick some leaders to help us. You remember what kind of leaders they said to pick? Pick some leaders that are full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. And that's all they said. Pick some leaders that are full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit, which, is, which means we apparently are able to recognize Who's full of the Holy Spirit? How do you recognize who's full of the Holy Spirit, you guys? 
legitimate. I'm asking an honest question, and I haven't thought ahead of time about what my answer would be on purpose. Because I want to hear what your answer is, Carolyn. A gentleness and a deep compassion. Abby. The fruits of the Spirit. So it's not just speaking in tongues and prophesying, like in Acts. It's how that person treats people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I miss one? Oh, you're saying you look in a person's eyes, the windows to the soul. And so how can you perceive a person that's full of the spirit and a person that's maybe not? Okay. What about people whose eyes do this? Oh, for heaven's sake. I'm not right. <laughs> but that's a really good point. People's face shows yes, the, the emotional content. Like, it's like, the, the, like my buddy. I say this story all the time. Be, be joyful always. Smacks the kid. And I go, that's a contradiction. Anyone else? Markers or marks of someone who's full of the Holy Spirit. So one. So okay. All Christians have the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean we're filled. And the way you know if some. This is Tim's answer, and I told you I wasn't going to answer but I'm basically just summarizing your answer. The way you know that someone's full is if a, if, a, if a bucket is completely full, then I can either not touch it and not spill it or bump it or move it in any way and you're going to get water spilling out. Any bumping into a full container and you get wet. So, so you're, that's interesting. So what you're saying is when you bump into a person who's filled with the Spirit, you start to sense the Spirit coming onto you in, in some ways. That's, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Is it possible, you guys think, to be full of the Holy Spirit on a Thursday and then like a month later, you're not as full of the Holy Spirit? I remember getting so mad when they said that in college, a seminary. I had a professor and he said, we, the reason it's so important for us to be a part of a committed body of believers and have spiritual disciplines in our life and regularly part, be part of worship and sacrifice and giving and serving and community is because, and do revival services. He said all this, and I'm like, come on, man. Can't we just love God? Why do we always have to keep getting refilled? Can't we just do it? Why, what's our problem? And he says, we are leaky vessels. And I remember being so frustrated with him. But facts don't care about my feelings. We are kind of leaky vessels. We drift is the thing. You, you, it's interesting, isn't it? The mountain of the Lord is, is, is how Psalm 24 talks about God's presence. And he says, who? He asked the question, who? Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Not who can drift down to the valley of the Lord. Right? You don't drift toward the Lord. You climb. Everything in life that you tend to drift toward is not good. 
All right, let's, let's settle it down. Can we all uh, get up? And uh, Stan and Linda talked about doing a, or one of them, talked about doing a double prayer blessing, double prayer blessing line, a.k.a. fire tunnel. Um, how you don't do that? Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> well, I need at least three or four people on each side. Yeah. So what I'd like for you all to do is, as you're leaving, come up and let the prayer team lay hands on you and just say a quick blessing. And think about what I said about the physical Jesus this week. And maybe apply it to the spiritual Jesus who's available for us. And realize I'm not trying to tell you he's mad at you for missing your appointment. That's not my point. I just think we don't quite fully realize how much he loves us, how available he is for us, and that he has so much he wants to say to us. He really does want us to be filled with his love and filled with his presence and empowered, not just for our sake, but so we can be like Samson with long hair. (laughs) Okay. Let's pray and then come on up. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the word that acts like a sword, that cuts things off that don't need to be there, that can be precise and surgical and set things right that need to be fixed. And we thank you, God, for the spirit that comes as a balm. There is a balm in Gilead. We ask that you'd pour out your spirit on us in a fresh way. We ask that you would teach us how to recognize your presence. Teach us how to become who you made us to be instead of cookie-cuttering with who you made someone else to be. Jesus, you come, your spirit comes to give the gifts you want to give to me. Not the gifts my little church likes. Not, the, not necessarily even the gifts my, that other people think have to happen. But you come to distribute the gifts of the spirit as you decide. So we ask God for openness to recognize your presence and openness to cooperate. Y'all can go ahead and come on up.